one. Welcome back to Buckle Up! Buckle Up, baby. Buckle Up with Mike and Ami, episode four. We did it. We did it. I always say four is the hardest one. <laughs> I think you say every single episode is the hardest one. And that that's probably the truth. I think it is true. I saw these guys, um, it's called the, uh, I forgot the name now. They're these, like, four or five friends who sit around and do, um, talk about finance. They're really interesting. I found them on TikTok. You forget the name? Yeah, I'll try to remember We'll it. put it in the description. Um, I forgot the name. They've done, um, I'm looking at their YouTube, and they have, like, like 30, 40 views per Per, per video and everything. 30, 40? Yeah, well, not that many. They've okay. done over 500 episodes. <laughs> what keeps somebody going at that point? They just popped on TikTok. They have 40,000 followers. Yeah, but, and it's good? It's, yeah, it's really interesting. Really, They're really smart guys. So that's that's interesting, but you've got to admire the persistence. Yeah. At the same time, though, imagine if we did this live and 40 to 50 people showed up every time. That would feel like a huge success. Right. It's not great. Perspective. Yeah. Yeah. 50 people really watching you over 500 episodes is pretty good, but yeah, I don't know where the motivation comes after. It's always interesting in, in the social media space how to quantify or process what a follower is versus mm -hmm. an audience member who's like paying attention. You know, if you had 50 people in a room, that mm -hmm. feels like something. If you could right. go anywhere in the world and 50 people would show up, I would say that that's impressive. Right. But when you see 50 followers, that looks nothing, or 50 views, that looks right, like nothing. Right, right. Because a view could be fleeting, it could be somebody who's not interested. So I get why I get why there's a distinction. Yeah. But at the same time, good for them if they gotten onto TikTok. Maybe the type of content just wasn't performing well on YouTube. But if you're saying it was, because if I was going that long and wasn't getting anything, I That's would, what... I would, I wouldn't stop. I would just shift and try different approaches yeah. of maybe how to maximize or do things differently so that it's resonating or connecting in a way. Because each platform functions yeah. a bit differently. Oh, they say you gotta do 500 before you get an idea. Yeah, but you're saying the stuff is good, it just has a small audience. Yeah. And you just admire the fact that even at 40 or 50. Yeah. So it puts it in, we're at episode four. It does, yeah. And we're still going. Yeah. So, yeah. good for Thanks us. Thanks everyone for watching, listening. Yeah. It's been um, exciting. It is, uh, it is fun and I, you know, have a newfound respect for the podcast production space. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you think you just sit here and have this conversation, but there's a lot more that goes on on the back end um, <coughs> that, uh, that you know, I do to make <laughs> it work. Um, and it's all new, because I started listening to podcasts seriously in 2009. Uh -huh. So when I started working, like, my first full-time jobs, I would sit and listen to podcasts. Who were the I would, I would go to adamcarolla.com and mm -hmm. listen. I'd go to yeah. Bill Simmons on ESPN. I would, you know, there was no app. You just, you'd find their their pages and they had their podcasts on there and you press play. I remember the days when, when the word podcast got thrown around. I feel like everybody pretended to know what it meant before we knew what a podcast yeah. was. It was yeah. one of those, you know, it's a podcast. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, sure. Um, but you knew. You were yeah, early. Yeah, I was listening, yeah, real early. Um, yeah, Adam Kroll, Bill Simmons, Tim Ferriss. Um, and, but the video stuff, um, I'm still brand new because I never watch podcasts. Mm -hmm. So all this Instagram, TikTok, YouTube stuff is like, even for me, it's like a whole new world I'm descending into. A whole new world. Just yeah. being on videos, the truth. Like as a, Also just being on it. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and consuming content as a, and consuming podcasts as a video. Yeah. And I have a new appreciation for like the art form of cutting a reel, mm -hmm. cutting a TikTok. I didn't, it's like, uh, it's fun. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really, it's its own skill. Yeah. Um, you can see how kids like in college now, kids, people in college now. 
<laughs> are, uh, you know, like what, what comes intuitively to them is, is like, is pretty alien to me at this point. What was our version of that though? What were we like, what was our generation's thing media wise? Did we have something like um, that? Cause I, I, I think what, what gave me the guilty conscience of like, I have no excuse to not be putting stuff out is mm -hmm. when I was in high school, like I remember having this moment in sort of adulthood mid twenties where I flashed back to my high school self and I said, I remember when me and my friends used to just go around town being idiots because jackass was like a big right. thing. Remember jackass in the nineties and two thousands was like the big part of the culture. That was like what the viral sort of Logan Paul prank Nelk boy stuff is today. Right. It was all jackass yeah. back then. And we would all just look at it with like, oh, I wish I could do that with my friends. But of course, like there weren't cameras, there wasn't infrastructure, there wasn't YouTube. Like yeah, they like, got lucky in that skater punk world that they got that attention and were able to get an audience. But I said, we would make, remember you would be, uh, we'd make the best show if we could like put all this on. Right. And then we got all those tools right. and they were made available to us. And most of us, including myself, were doing nothing with yeah. it. It's different being in high school though. It's, if you had those tools in high school, it, it might it might have been different. I might have used it then, but yeah. the point was, my excuse then was nothing existed. So right. we can't do it. We, all we have are actual video cameras. Right. And, and no one no, had one. And there's no place to put them. Right. There's no website for this. <laughs> what, eBombs World? Right. Free YouTube? What are you going to do with these videos? Then it all became available, yeah. and it's like the tech gods were like, what's your excuse now? Right. Right. And right. I was like, I have none. Better yeah. start getting to work, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but you were saying something about the college kids that they're naturally good at it because that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, they just have a sense for what what a TikTok video is supposed to be like. And mm -hmm. could, I don't know, maybe like the equivalent for us would be like writing an email. You just sort of you just sort of understand the formality of of an email versus like sometimes you know your parents will write like, "Dear Ami, right, I'm writing you an email." <laughs> like you know what I mean whereas we're you know we know how to do it whereas like they well that's how the video is just like they just know how they just get it they, what they got that generation is much cooler well we can write a solid email and that's right. self-defeating anyway because nowadays it's like put everything in the subject line and be brief that's what you learn like mm -hmm. formality and emails is bullshit right like once I'm you, pretty formal actually yeah, yeah I, I sign off like best Michael usually yeah I do a best but does it work is it like is your email game effective in its like my email game is, is, uh, is it great? <laughs> if you're doing a cold email, what's like your, it's like uh, hitting on someone. I what's... start, I start with hope as well. Hope all as well. Mm -hmm. I hope you don't mind me reaching out unsolicited. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Unsolicited, you I'll say? I'll say that, yeah. That's a provocative word. Yeah, it is provocative. Yeah, I guess so. I think it's good. My, I... my cold email game is pretty good, I think. And people respond. I love writing a good email. Right. Ooh, a good email. To, to hit, to hit that that note between formality and, and, and being casual. And striking Ooh. intrigue. Yeah. You know what I like? I uh, found that over the years, the the more formal it was, the more giveaway it was that I was a noob. Yeah. Because then it's like a little mm -hmm. brown nosy and you're like a little intimidated and people just smell that. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can be formal when you're experienced and they don't smell it because it doesn't come off that way. But I always found, especially in creative, like networking kind of uh, uh, strategies of reaching out to people, like going casual and humanizing everything was yeah. the most effective. I would open with something that had nothing to do with what I was reaching out for. It would be about family, life, kids, weather, anything. Hey, reaching out. I just moved to the West Coast, actually, and I'm so, you know, but I do miss the seasons because I haven't worn any of my best hoodies in three months. Somebody reads that and goes, mm -hmm. yeah, me too, or whatever. <laughs> or I see that you're from... 
I see that you're from Boston. I miss my days there in college, had the best time. Mm -hmm. Or I see you went to this school. Like you do a little bit of research, so it's not just generic. Right. Right. But, but whenever I did that, it just humanized <coughs> the whole experience. Mm -hmm. And I was my success rate in getting people to respond to me was much, much higher. Right. Now it's all Instagram DMs. It doesn't even emails anymore. I find Instagram DMs probably the best way to get oh, in touch yeah. with people. Like send a voice note. Uh -huh. And then people are like, oh, wow, somebody left me uh -huh. a met. Like, I do that kind of stuff. That. I do that kind of stuff all the time if yeah. I want to reach out to somebody cold. As opposed to, dear Zinjas, I am a recent graduate of the Berkeley College of Music. You know. I just had a feeling I reached out to this artist. I'm trying to buy one of her prints for our bathroom because she makes these, like, gross little, like, creatures. She, like, pictures of turds? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, I reached out. Yeah, I didn't get a response at all. But that's um, you're trying to buy something. That's probably I know, right? Yeah. I thought for sure she'll she'll even she'll say something. Send a voice note. Yeah, maybe I will. With that sexy little baritone. Maybe I will. Listen, I want to watch you while I shit. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. I'm looking at a blank wall right now. <laughs> Need something? Call me. <laughs> Just get blocked. Um, I've been getting these WhatsApp messages. Do you get these? From like like from a mass in mass it, the picture it's always a picture of a, an, an Asian woman yes uh, an attractive Asian woman yes. saying hey yes. wrong name how's the project going I got a bunch of those this past week yeah yeah what what is what is that it's Ling Ling she's a Hong Ta she's a friend of the podcast oh yeah she's just reaching out <laughs> the wrong numbers it's spam somebody's spamming WhatsApp well, and it's saying hey what Kevin are they hoping to get out of it. I bet you they're hoping that somebody thinks it's a real person saying, hi, I'm sorry, uh, you have the wrong so, thing. So that's and what they're like, ours. And then we, we had a conversation, uh -oh. but it didn't it change. Your, I, I was like, where's the catch? What are you trying change to Change your bank password. Because the longer you leave WhatsApp open, it has a... Uh, My bank password? Your bank, your online banking password has a, uh, are you has a firewall that's connected to WhatsApp. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what are they trying to get out of you? Like a credit card number? I have no idea if it's like the those India like uh, you know spam things where it's a bot of some kind that tries to keep you on the app so that it could access data while you're using it. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. I don't know how the even technology works, but it could be that while they can engage with you. Yeah. You know, they could see how susceptible you are, and then who knows? If you're if things. you're one of these people, call into the show. Tell us what's going on. Because, yeah, this is... I get one, like, every day now. Maybe because I responded to it. <laughs> I got a few this week, and I'm like... I knew it was spam because... First I got it, and I'm like... Hi, Kevin, how's the project going? And I'm like... Hmm. Then I got another one with a different name that wasn't my name. Okay, so there's, there's a pattern here yeah. of botnet. I just respond now. It's, it's on track. Thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted to just play along with yeah. And then um, they didn't respond also, so I don't know. Yeah, one of our followers on Instagram, actually, we now have, mm -hmm. like, 80-something. We got to, like, 85 yeah. this week. Pretty Buckle good. up! Clay, yeah. what's the, uh... <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like that at all. One of them, it's like, you know, it's a bunch of friends that we know and people yeah. who actually don't know. And then on the bottom, it says, this girl wants to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so we sent her a, uh, a voice note. We'll see what happens. <laughs> But it's a, these spam bots. Like Instagram is known to be full of these bots, these mm -hmm. fake accounts. Um, and I shared one as a joke because our first follower was a bot who was like, hey, hey, naughty, naughty, right. come take a pic with me. And I shared it as a story. And, they, and we got flagged for community right. guidelines. So the Instagram account is allowed to remain on Instagram, but we can't talk about that account on Instagram. Does that make sense? <laughs> what gives Zuckerberg? Also, and on the, on the old, um, on, on the clip about... Uh, Oh, uh, tell talking us. about uh, 
the vaccine, Dr. D's message about the vaccine, if you go to share it, a flag comes up and says, make sure you're not sharing misinformation, go to this website. Um, I'm, I don't have a problem with that. It's just wild that I guess they can, they can uh, like crawl around the audio. I don't know if they can. Clips about the vaccine. So I'm not sure if it detected what we were saying and then said, make sure this is valid. That's or anytime you talk COVID, and you tag COVID or vaccine did you, in it? Did you tag I COVID? did. Oh, that's probably. I also tagged COVID misinformation. I thought it was <laughs> no, but just so people know. <laughs> but uh, if you talk about it, because it did say it said the alert said make sure this information is 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 reliable. Learn more about COVIDness <laughs> underneath, which seemed mm -hmm. a mix of generic and a warning. Um, it didn't say this information may be thing. It just said if you're going to be sharing something, I think it was. Right. It's when you know Mark Zuckerberg goes to Congress and says we're doing everything we can to putting measures to protect against misinformation. So maybe right. anytime somebody is talking COVID, they throw that up. Mm -hmm. It's cool to think they listen through and we makes us feel a little badass. Oh, I don't think, I don't think a human is listening through. I just right. thought there's a program that listens through that can pick up on mm -hmm. a video that has a word COVID in it. Uh, so I don't know if it's that or if it's just the second you start, they detect a post might be about that. Mm -hmm. Because I noticed every single time at the beginning of the pandemic, mm -hmm. when you tagged COVID-19, um, it would just say, Vaccine info here, like anytime, it would mm -hmm. automatically put under your video. For more info on the vaccine, click here. So, I think that might be that might be what's going on, as opposed to like this nefarious algorithmic bot uh, AI mm -hmm. detecting that we're talking about something. If you work at Instagram, give us a call. Yeah, here at Buckle Up, we uh, we appreciate um, this comments going nowhere. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, when I'm, I'm trying to wrap up what I was about to say, mm -hmm. it just dissipated into the air. We'll edit it out. Okay. <laughs> I did a funny face to just pay off. Um, so, you saw Dune this week. I haven't yet. I saw Dune. We're going to talk about it properly, but it blew my face off. Oh, man. Um, Is it going to be one of those situations now where if I get to it too late, if it's not the best movie in the world, I'll have to automatically be the one who doesn't think it's the best movie, even if it's good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should watch it before the hype, the like the hype cycle ends and everyone and the backlash starts. I feel like it's already too late. You know what I mean? Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember be. Slumdog Millionaire? Yeah. When that movie came out, everyone was like, "You have to see this movie," right? Mm -hmm. Die Remember? I went to see it like a couple of weeks after the hype, and it was good. But the whole time, I'm kind of in my head holding the standard. Okay, is this the right, best right. movie in the world? Do I have to see this? Like, you automatically throw this standard on the movie yeah. that's impossible. As if, as opposed to if I had discovered it early and been one of those people, it would have had that. So that's always an interesting thing. And we used to argue about movies all the time because I used to always have such a high standard and always point to the flaws in movies and stuff. And you would say, you hate everything. You're never going to like anything. Remember, this was an old day. Yeah, we, I, we, st we saw Hancock, the, that Will Smith movie. It's when horrible. It, yeah, I, I, I was like, it's fine. It's a fine movie. Because you had a very unconscious way of watching film. You're like, I appreciate the escape. Yeah, and you were said, listen, if, it, if the movie happened start to finish and I didn't lose interest or get upset, fine. Yeah. But I always had a much more artistic critique of it. Like, look how bad that writing yeah. was and, that's, uh, and this just doesn't make sense and that would bother me. But you'd be like, it happened. It's I over. I feel fine. Hang on. I, robot also, I remember I went to go see iRobot. I was exhausted. I think we saw it together. Yeah. 
And I didn't fall asleep, and I was like, it must have been a good movie. <laughs> but it's so unconscious. You're like, it must have been good. I don't know, because I didn't think about it. Yeah, well, so fast forward to now, yeah. I was about, we were, I, I, my plan was to spend a day, we'll talk about what I was doing during the day, mm-hmm. and then um, and then watch Dune at the end of the day. Yeah. And and I was and I just remember saying to my friend, I was like, Dune's going to suck. She, she's like, why is it going to suck? I'm like, everything sucks now. Mm-hmm. So of course it's going to suck. They like hype it up and the, the trailers and this and it's on HBO Max. The whole, it's just going to suck. Whatever. Let's just watch it. Get through it. Whatever. So that, that, that's where I'm at now. Um, and then watching it made me realize how much everything has sucked lately. Because um, this, this didn't suck. This was like, maybe it wasn't the perfect movie, but it was like a solid... 1999 like cinema experience wow. it was very you saw it in the theaters or on no no i watched it on on hbo max is it in theaters or people are just watching on hbo max people are just watching at home people are watching at home it is, it is in theaters i know one person who went to go see it in theaters it's an imax it's supposed yeah. to be really cool in imax um but it was like so used to, we're so used to watching tv series that are just like okay yeah. this was like a movie wow like a proper movie yeah i remember i'm trying to remember the last movie you know when you're like in a movie and you're like man i haven't sat this long straight like it's way past the point where the episode of an equivalent tv show would have ended yeah and you're like you start to move in your chair you're like i haven't done this yeah in a long <laughs> ass time but if it's a good enough movie you still don't get anxious but you're just like your body hasn't felt that like you know stagnant in in, a, in the same place for a, a straight two hour period in a right. long time when you're watching a movie straight i forget what i was what movie i watched where it was like that um, but it was recent that we just put on a movie and I was like, it had been ages. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like from TikTok to one minuters to like your 20 to 30 minute binge stuff. We, yeah. we started Ted Lasso this past week. Yeah. Watching I'm in it, the middle. Which is real charming. Yeah. Charming. Um, it's charming. Very charming and wholesome and nice. Yeah. And you want to kind of not like it. And I still, in some ways there's parts of it where I'm just like, that could have been better. Or, that mm-hmm. felt a little forced. But it has enough charm that it makes up for it. That's my so far with Ted Lasso. Like it, the way the character Ted has an effect on the characters. You're a character, and you're like, you kind of want to like, is this real? And I haven't finished it, but I'm just like, huh, he's likable. So that's exactly it. Everything is, it's it's great. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. And then and then you and then I watched this, and I was like, oh, that was good. Mm. That was good. It wasn't just fine. It right, was good. Right. Interesting. Okay, I that's have to how check I it felt out. about it. We should, I, I saw a clip also like Hans Zimmer did the music, and that's yeah. always intriguing as a. Film composer myself, and the and I mean, in the story itself, I mean, it's wild to think that filmmakers like Spielberg and uh, Lucas, mm-hmm. Lucas, what's his George Lucas, George Lucas, mm-hmm. not only made the films and like, I mean, um, in Star Wars, I just wanted to make movies that, that I wanted to make movies that I wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, the same hair as him, sort of. George Lucas, <laughs> yeah, he's kind of got the same hair. Spielberg has a very particular. I haven't done a Spielberg impression, but. He's, what does he sound like? I don't even know. Um, does he, he doesn't do a ton of interviews, does he? He does, but I can't do it. But there's definitely a... Something in the mouth. <laughs> Probably. Anyway, what about them? Well, they not only made these spectacular movies and innovated the industry, they mm-hmm. also wrote the scripts. Lucas, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg, not only did they... Uh, um, he has no know, chin. He, he, chin. he, he was born. Chin. He was born without a chin. It was like an early birth defect in the early fifties. And then they put one in. They put one in. It they fell. Tried. It fell into his neck. Here, <laughs> it keeps falling. It gets further and further. Yeah, that's why Darth Vader also has a very strong masked oh. chin. Not many people know that. In all, in all of his movies, there's a character with a strong chin. I've been waiting for you, Obi Wan. I am your man. Yeah. Keep um. Well, anyway, they they made these spectacular movies, innovated the industry, 
mm-hmm. and also wrote the stories, like Indiana Jones, Star Wars, whereas Dune, part, part, mostly what makes it awesome is the world and the story, and their ability to adapt it is really is really impressive. But, I mean, imagine if the director, uh, Denis Villeneuve, I want to say. Villeneuve, <laughs> no idea. Imagine if he not only made this, but also created Dune, you know, we'd have another icon. It's just wild to think what, what you know, what the, these people are icons for a reason. But Spielberg didn't write his movies. He directed them. He, so there were screenwriters on the Spielberg movies. I know he's got, he's the visionary. Yeah, but. no, but they came up, him and George Lucas came up with Indiana Jones. And mm. then they got, I think, Larry Kasdan to write Yeah, so the, the nitty gritty screenwriting they, and dialogue. They create the story, yeah, but yeah. they created these. Right, right. If, if he had created the world of Dune, um, you know, that like wow yeah um that would be, did he though or do we no he didn't know? no no it's it's a it's a book by frank herbert and uh it's been adapted before i think you know the last decade and more everyone sort of in general is nostalgic of the era where the movies had the most impact on them so some people love the 70s some people love the 80s whatever like the formative years that like yeah. you discovered movies i'm a 90s kid but i do find if you critically compare mm-hmm. action movies in particular yeah. from now um from the ones out now to the ones in the 90s, they're missing story. They're missing characters. Yeah. Yeah. They have glitz and glam, and they have so much effects and VFX that's crazy impressive. But even right. things like with the Avengers, you know, they're great movies, but and they have some humor in them, but, like, the first Iron Man, for example, that, that rivals any 90s movie yeah. because it has real story, and you're invested in right. Iron Man as a character and Robert Downey Jr. and the whole... Like, it has real dialogue. Yeah. That's what makes an action movie. Even stuff on top of that, like... If you look at movies like uh, The Rock or Speed or like the classic action movies of the 90s, mm-hmm. they had great characters. Yeah. And even if some of it's cheesy and stuff like... Is that one that? with Bruce Willis and... Uh, Die Hard? Die Hard, yeah. <laughs> you blanked I, know, I never on, watched those. You blanked on Die Hard. But I've never yes, seen Die Hard. But all of them have... At, even if they're, they don't have the greatest stories, they have characters you really invest right, in. Right, right. Who, who are relationships. Like, who are deeper than just a Vin Diesel, I'm strong. It's about family. It's about family. <laughs> but they have like intriguing characters that you want to go there with so mm-hmm. that the action just enhances that character and that story, not um, not just like this shallow surface level thing where it's meaningless. Yeah. Um, but I would say, what was the other one I was thinking of? Bruce Willis. Uh, I'm trying to think of other sort of classic 90s action movies that had also great story to them. Face Off? So, but you, but you saw the thing with Patrice O'Neill and... No. Uh, <laughs> you saw, there's an amazing clip. Patrice O'Neill, Rest His Soul. It's an Opie and Anthony where it's, uh, it's Patrice O'Neill and Norton, Jim Norton. Yeah. Who you said looks like... An aborted fetus. <laughs> yes, looks like an aborted fetus. And he's like... And Patrice O'Neill, I think, was the one. He goes off at first and says... Yeah, man, like, face off. That was a kick-ass movie. And Norton goes, that was the shittiest fucking movie I've ever seen. <laughs> he, and, and, and he goes off on why face off is ridiculously dumb. Jim Norton or Patricia? Jim Norton yeah. goes. He's like, what is this? All of a sudden, he becomes the fucking villain. The wife has no idea. Whatever. Wipes the kid's face. So, so fucking creepy. And Patrice, by the end of it, goes, <laughs> you're right. It's the worst. He's just he's so convinced. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I can't believe I thought it was good. Like, he says it as, like, a second nature thing, but then by the end, Jim Norton completely convinces him yeah. that it's the worst movie ever. We should link that clip, because it's so freaking So, hard. I'm Patrice. I just sit at every movie, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is incredible. It's funny. You would think Patrice would be hypercritical. Yeah, you think so. But he thought it was great. Yeah, that was a great movie. And yeah. Norton goes, no, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> Caster Troy. 
Was yeah, uh, just all of it. Anyway. But it was it wasn't a great. I mean, it was great because I love it. It came out. I think I was in fifth grade. It was like you know the coolest thing I'd ever seen. But it's not. It's not. Is it a great movie? Uh, it Probably has not. its stupidities, but at least the acting and the characters themselves. Like is that true? It's more that movie Face Off is more premise than anything else. Someone came up with a great right. Really I wouldn't wacky say that's premise. about the characters. Face Off. You don't even remember his name, do you? Caster Troy. I mean, because I just said it. Yeah, <laughs> that I remember, and um, and and John Travolta's character. And John Travolta, yeah, exactly. I don't remember their name. But, that, that, but John Travolta that, was killing that, Broken Arrow. All those great that, movies. That's my then. standard for if if a movie has a good character and an actor did a good job. You don't say Brad Pitt's character, Leo's character. You remember the character's name itself. That's a good point. I don't. It's it's rare I remember a character's name. I'm just name. sitting here trying to think of John to prove my point. Yeah. Um. John Travolta's name in Face Off. You don't remember, huh? No. Pollux is the brother. Pollux <laughs> Troy Castro. I didn't just that's say because his name good. is Pollux. Yeah. He ties his shoelace. Every time he falls through everything, that was like a thing that they right, had as right, kids. Right. Even though that, it's kind of stupid. <laughs> so like, let's throw a little thing oh, in there so to show that they're brothers. Their, where their shoes go Buckle. on the floor, yeah. <laughs> I'm Castro Troy. I, I'm, I'm, remember he goes to the thing, I'm getting the name. He goes, I'm something, something. There is a bomb at the LA Convention <laughs> Center. Oh, oh. It's <laughs> mm, oh. pretty good. Mm, face shot, what, Nicholas Cage? Yeah. Oh, I'm, what's his name? Somebody in the comment section, please tell me what John Travolta's <laughs> name is in, jo- in Face Off. Uh, I've spent too much time on it, but I guess you're right. It was a shitty movie. I have a friend who I uh, like to say parties like the Nightcaster Troy got out of jail, where he just he opens that briefcase is it cocaine? and the gold guns, and he just goes nuts. <laughs> he just parties every night like that, like he just got out of jail. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <Yeah>. Woo! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Archer, Sean Archer. Yeah, <laughs> we should stop it now. I'm Sean Archer. I'm Sean Archer. <laughs> Sean right, Archer. It was a good movie. Oh. Face was a good movie. He re- founds a journal of Sean Archer of Sean Archer and writing about his wife. He's like, he's like missed again. We haven't made love in two months. What a loser. <laughs> I hate to see you go. I love to watch you leave, <laughs> Sean. <laughs> I just proved Face Off was great. Yeah, Remember every right. fucking yeah. line and the brother's name, Pollux. Yeah. Mm, what was someone have to do to get a tongue sandwich? And <laughs> <laughs> for the big ride, baby. And he tries to cut his face off at the end. Creepy stuff. I think we've gone deeper than I remember right now. <laughs> I'm Sean Archer. I can't believe it. Okay. I'm proud of myself. We could cut it there, but we're not going to because there's Good one. Good for you. I'm impressed. Okay. I had to dig deep into my 90s vault. Yeah. Like... Remember they had a speedboat chase scene? No, I don't remember. Like well, there was, the, I think the director is an Asian guy who did all those action movies. What's his name? Uh, ch- Chinese director. Uh, did all- Fung. Something. Uh, uh, did, did he make the Hulk also? No, but he made all those action movies that are like the classic '90s action movies. I think he also did The Rock and all those things. Yeah, The Rock I is great it, too. Would... The Rock, Ed Harris's character in The Rock's great character, complicated bad guy. Remember Ed Harris in The Rock? Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he was conflicted, right. and he was I good and I bad, agree. and good and at bad. At this point in my life, I think I agree with him. <laughs> what was he doing? He was protesting. It was a protest of some kind in the Rock. Oh, like against this the uh, has army been, or the this military. Podcast has or become something. a nerdzilla <laughs> film podcast. One of those. Anyway, so do you get me, no, it's not because we, 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 we don't know. We don't know any, don't of know any, any of the answers or what we're talking about. So. Ed Harris's yeah. character. He's a general in the army, honorable man. His soldiers had been repeatedly left behind to die on his missions, and he was very, very jaded and pissed at the American government. 
And 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 I think a proper response is taking over uh, a, an unused prison and, and making a threat. I don't think I I think he had a point. Is all I'm saying. He, well, he certainly had a point, <laughs> which is why he made the movie compelling. Right, but then he, I think he wanted to kill everyone in San Francisco. He didn't though. In the end, remember he bluffed. I don't remember now. Is that what happens? The whole thing is he takes hostages. Yeah. Right. Someone should. Okay. Be- Sean Connery looks at Ed Harris and and he comes back to Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. He said he's a soldier, not a. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, God, that was scary. Someone's putting up a mezuzah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I thought the world was ending. But the point is that Ed Harris, Sean Connery's character, uh, what's his name in the movie? Um, Mason. I, see, I don't know. Mason. Not even close. Um, he comes back to Nicolas Cage and he says, and he's like, he's going to fire the rock out. We need to stop these fucking rock outs. Remember? <laughs> and Sean Connery goes, he's a soldier, not a monster. I read it in his eyes. He's a soldier, not a monster. There's a scene where they have a stare-off, and he goes, you know, patriotism is the virtue of the vicious, according to Oscar Wilde. And he bashes him on the head. He goes, thank you for proving my point. <laughs> Sean Connery said that to all I don't remember any of this. I probably watched the movies a thousand times as a kid. Sir That's Sean Connery. Sir Sean Connery, rest his soul. Remember is he, he died? He died. He huh. was in his 90s. You should, we didn't know that. There's a famous video of him on YouTube where this woman's like, you really think it's appropriate to hit a woman? And he goes, I think if she's been out of line and has said something that has bothered you, a little, a little schmack is certainly appropriate. <laughs> he said not in the movie in real life. In real life. Oh, wow. It's one of these epic, epic, you know, like the misogynists of YouTube love this clip, but it's yeah. like, I think it's appropriate to lightly hit a woman if she's gotten <laughs> out of line. Sure. He says he's a soldier, not a monster. Anyway, uh, Ed Harris is a great character of the 90s action movie. They should remake The Rock from Ed Harris's point of view. Well, in the end... I'd watch that. Yeah, but in the, in the end, he doesn't kill everybody. He, so well, you don't remember what happens. They fire that rocket. Yeah, it goes in the water. And he, he presses the button at the end that misdirects it uh, from the game. Yeah, he's like, I'm not, about good, to, not about to kill 700,000 people, 70 million guy. people. Are you out of your mind? Oh, and his, like, his soldiers want him to do it. His right, mercenaries right, are right. evil. They're, they're, they're out for money. They're like, mercenaries get paid. <laughs> the second we took hostages, we became mercenaries. Sir. <laughs> Now you're remembering? I don't, but I, I would like I would like to see that movie. We've remade. gotten so down these '90s. <laughs> more, more Tell me, are you a fan of Elton John, Rocket Man? Uh, and he goes, I don't listen. You're gonna like this part. One more quote from the <laughs> and then we'll move on. Because <laughs> I think I've said this to you before. So listeners, he's like, tell me, off. are you a fan? There's a scene where uh, Nicholas Cage is, a, is like plotting how to kill this guy. He lines him up in front of the rocket, and mm-hmm. you can tell he's getting his nerdness is getting excited. I'm double checking the audio here. Good. His nerdness is getting super excited at one of the bad guys. He goes, Tell me, are you a fan of Elton John's Rocket Man? I don't like soft ass shit. <laughs> <laughs> the guy just looks, I don't like soft oh, ass shit. Uh, Ving Rams, right? It's not Ving Rams. <laughs> it's not. Ving it's Rams. not. It's the other black guy in the movie. Uh. But. It's it's. I knew you would say that. It's like in that in that time, Con Air is Ving Rhames, Bulldog, Mad Dog. He might have been no, in the Rock that's too. That's not Ving Rhames. It is. Yeah. He doesn't speak, does he? Yeah, he does. In Con Air. Con Mad Dog. Mad Dog. But Con Air's also one of the dumbest movies ever. If you oh, watch yeah, it again yeah. now, it's so. Stupid. I remember seeing it with my dad, and my dad was laughing the whole time, and I was so mad at him because <laughs> I was like, "This is 
this is the best movie ever. Why are you laughing? He walks, gets shot in the um, arm, and doesn't move. Yeah. <laughs> Some of it's really weird. And then there's like the John Belushi scenes. It's a very strange movie. John Belushi? Jim Belushi? Oh, uh, no. No, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. <laughs> John Belushi. Oh, yeah, and he's, he was sitting in the empty pool. And then at the, the end, the he's little... like just having fun, and he's eating people. But yeah. you don't know how you're supposed to feel. Si- yeah. But it had it great It was supposed character. to be fun. I think it was supposed it was, to be funny. It was a little yeah. tongue-in-cheek, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, si- yeah. Anara. Best, best scene in the movie when he lights the guy on fire with a cigarette. I don't remember that. He goes, Sai, he stole the plane. Where's my fucking plane? Sai, Anara. <laughs> and he throws the cigarette. I don't remember And that. lights the guy up. How do you, your best movie ever, you don't remember these things. No. But what were we just talking about? Which movie? Um, oh, no. So he says the rocket man. I don't like yeah. salt. Shit. <laughs> I thought that was funny. He fires the rocket. In the end, Ed Harris doesn't fire the rocket because mm-hmm. he actually knows he's a good man. He doesn't want to kill innocent people. Right. And uh, that's why he has to die at the end because he's made that mistake. But it was really. It was complicated, and that's what made 90s movies good. Characters from the 90s, which were good. Even his general assistant commander Mm -hmm. joins him and fires on the other guys. But like you said, General, it's over. And then they have a massive shootout. Uh, Mm -hmm. If I could turn (laughs) back time. (laughs) Anyway, Um, uh, movies today should take a lesson. You should watch Dune. By next week, I'll have watched it, and we can dig even deeper into Nerdzilla Fest. Yeah. Yeah, well, not next uh, We're two weeks, right? Well, we'll do another one then. When next time I watch then the next one, because we're going to divide this podcast up into yeah. two parts. We'll we're release it this week and next week. week. I'm going to be in traveling in L.A., so we'll release it in two parts. Yeah. But we promised last week we would discuss something very important, and that was why people from our community, the modern Orthodox Jewish community, right. do not go into creative endeavors for the most part, right? For the you, most part. You, you were on our way to, you got um, your first sort of like, gig, like, you know, scheduled gig and uh, before Tyler Fisher's uh, show mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. And we were in the car on the way there. And you laid out this theory that I thought was really interesting. Oh, it was a comedy or, gig you're talking about. It was about. a comedy yeah, gig. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing like a seven-minute set mm-hmm. um, about why... Yeah, people from our community usually go into one of several very lucrative careers instead of uh, something in, like in the creative field. Those careers um, being, let's say, said? finance, law, medicine, <coughs> real estate, family business. That's it. <sighs> kind of, right? There's like the, that's the range. Yeah, you know, I, I, w- I would maybe even put marketing more in the creative field. Yeah. It's not because it's not super lucrative. Right. Um, really, exactly. Unless you're very good. If you're at gonna it do marketing and, and hate it, you might as well time. do finance and hate it. <laughs> you know what? But I don't know enough about yeah, what marketing yeah, yeah. means. You, you no, yeah, I, I did the the truth is I I agree with that. I agree with that because at the end of the day, marketing you don't really get to be too creative. You're working for somebody else's voice, mm-hmm. um, and it is a little bit crushing um, if you're a creative person. And mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of creative people who do it, and they think, well. I'll be able to do that and then do my creative thing on the side. That never happens. You're saying it never satisfies the creative thirst of a creative person. It's sort of a safe way to do something that's not it, businessy, fully, full yeah, on. Yeah, it will not even satisfy. It, it, it crushes that part of you a little mm-hmm. bit because because you, you need to be creative. So by the end of the day, you're drained. You don't have any mm-hmm. time for your own creative endeavors, but you're not being creative in the way that fulfills you. So, so I, I mean, for it, 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 it could be really tough and you're not making that much money. So, I mean, for me, i rather just like stuff envelopes and fill out spreadsheets if I'm going to do oh, like, that makes a, a job and, th- and then really have a little bit of energy at the end of the day to like write a fun story or whatever. Right, for balance. Personally, so all your creative energy is spent on your passion and what you really want out there. In exactly, the and, when, and your job is your job. You don't love it, but it, it, 
it it serves a role yeah. and, and you save that gas in the tank for your own creative pursuits as exactly. opposed to trying to like you know spread it thin exactly i remember yeah 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 i remember when i was interning um at a direct marketing firm i sat down with this guy or this one of the guys who works here who's like in his 40s and he just kind of looked at me and he was like don't do it don't do it <laughs> he's like i wish i would have never started <laughs> like, oh, good. Oh, okay. Um, but I took it to heart. Well, anyway, so um, right. So it's it's one of those like finance, yeah. law, medicine, real estate, or family business. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, do you remember how you explained it? Yes, I I've thought about it even more since then, and have other thoughts on it as well because I'm very sympathetic to the idea that you know those careers. Like I don't knock them in the sense that it makes a lot of sense given the cost of living the modern Orthodox Jewish lifestyle, which, that, that, which is what maybe for people who, yeah, yeah, I'm about to it. say, yeah. um, <laughs> given the costs involved in that lifestyle, private schools, uh, being part of a community that's near a synagogue and that raises the cost of where you're living, tri-state area or big cities where there tends to be a high concentration because being modern Orthodox requires being part of a community. Otherwise, it can be very challenging. It's, it's also very enriching to be part of a community. So you're in, in more expensive areas to live in. You're sending to private schools, as I said, and you're having kids very young, younger right. than average. Right. So that lends itself to careers where they start to pay pretty well pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So those careers you put in a few years and you could be making stable, reliable income. At least I think, I mean, this is from my observation, mm. um, very quickly. And I remember not very quickly, not that anything comes easy, but at least it's like you, you yeah. can sort of project that right. as but, opposed to creative endeavors. Yeah. By the time you're 26, you could be making, yeah, yeah. you could be making $300,000 yeah. by the time you're 26. I, my point is yeah. before the, I even crunch the numbers, it's that in general, in the macro, the creative pursuits sort of as a rule in general, are much more of a long game. And it's not like you can't be very successful in either endeavor, in the business world or in the creative world, but in the creative world, it is just true for the most part. It's not a lottery. You don't just like win overnight. You have to really put in the years and years of building up, of working on your craft, building an audience or building up your connections and your, uh, uh, you know, human capital as a creative person, depending on what you're doing in whatever area of the creative of business you are in music or art or whatever it is, it's a much, it's a long game and it's unstable all the time. You have years where you do really well. You have years where you're, you know, you don't do as well, but you're putting in time development wise. So it's a fundamentally a little bit less stable, which doesn't always suit a modern Orthodox lifestyle uh, early on. And, and I, so I can see why you'd be steered away from it. It's true, like, and on the numbers themselves, like my father used to tell me when I was in high school, when I was thinking about going into music and taking it seriously, he would just say, Ami, you know, keep your eye on the ball. I, whatever you do, because he did give me a lot of encouragement. But he said, but just make sure you keep your eye on the ball. And that ball was a big ball of cash. <laughs> like, that's what he meant, the ball, a huge ball of cash. And one day he just broke the numbers down for me and was like, if you're not making, you know, he say at 250K a year on me, you know, at 250K a year, you're spending every penny you have. You're spending it. Now, I, I feel like to the average American, to the, you know, that salary, $250,000 sounds like, you know, a certain percentage of upper, upper uh, income earners. But with the costs of all the stuff I talked about, you know, with, private schooling and wherever you're going to yeah. live and all of those things in a big family. He's like, at 250, you're spending everything. You'll get by, but you're spending every dollar. 500K, he said, I think he said something for like 100K, not going to work. 250K, you're spending everything. By 500,000, it's okay. And I was like, 
Yeah. <laughs> and I, it, I was 16 or something. He was just trying yeah. to level with me mm-hmm. as he saw that I was really getting passionate about music and entertainment and wanting to be in that world. He was just, you know, he used to say all the time, you know, I could have been a comedy writer. Some good ideas, <laughs> but I always kept my eye on the ball. He's got parents who were immigrants, working class, mm-hmm. and focused, hyper focused, hyper ambitious. And speaking to my dad's point, and just the overall culture that we grew up around, we grew up around all these boomers mm-hmm. who came from nothing, for the most part, and were hyper successful financially. Yeah, the most successful generation ever. And part of the boomer generation, and then just around your culture and around these people, you're just like in awe a little bit of like, how, boy, that's insane. Like the booming 80s, the, all yeah. that stuff. And I and and I think what's interesting is that we're making this point about why not enough people go into creative fields. But I would also argue that more people do than previous generations because, sure. to be honest, you're afforded these opportunities when you when you come from uh, backgrounds that can help support that, at least for right. a, in the short term, in the beginning, when you're just getting started, right. you have that flexibility in ways that my parents' generation certainly right. didn't. And so, like, I, you know, th- there's that element of it, right. too. Coming from middle class to upper middle class backgrounds, that affords you these opportunities. Having said that, still a lot of people don't do it. Yeah. Um, right. Well, we, we, you were who saying. Who regret it? I don't know. Maybe they do. Or, maybe they don't. Well, we agreed the only way to do it is with a lot of help. Mm-hmm. If if you want to have kids and you want to live in the tri-state area, you 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 need a cushion. You need help. Right. Otherwise, it's pretty impossible. Well, there's um, there's to wrap your head around it. You know, there's making a living and making a living as a modern Orthodox Jew are two kind of different things with different requirements, right? Right. So, well, so it's not so so there's modern Orthodox Jews, but I think anyone. This who, whole conversation is at, is at the risk of sounding super detached, which I get a little self-conscious about. But we're, we're trying to be no, honest. Yeah, here. yeah. It's just like the risk of sounding like. I'm not saying, yeah, it's just like, I have to be honest about that. That's a weird feeling. And I'm not, I'm very grateful it's, for the opportunities I've had and for my, my parents, you know, being supportive when I was younger in pursuing the arts and all that yeah. stuff. So I'm very grateful for that and supporting me going to college and studying music and all yeah. those things. But at the same time, I have met people in the course of whatever who also started in the same position that say my parents did when they started where they didn't have anything but you find a way if you know so right. at the end of the day I still think if you're determined enough and can figure yeah. it out you can figure it out but True. well you, you were you, know. you, you said also in the past you you can totally start without a cushion and without mm-hmm. help but things get delayed where you may not be having kids until your 40s or you may not be able to live where you want to live until well, your 40s. Well, I wasn't preaching that. I was just saying that. You're saying that's the reality of. I can't say because, you know, mm-hmm. I can't say with full authority how things are supposed to go. Mm-hmm. But I was saying that I was trying to and getting into this game early on when I was like an intern. I had was making no money, literally working for free for like the first few months mm-hmm. out of college. Um, and. I would look around and I'd see the success stories of people who were doing stuff I wanted to be doing. And you ask them their trajectory and like, you know, how did this happen? And, you know, you were getting things like, well, you know, I, I lived in an apartment in Burbank till I was 40. Then I got married and had one kid. And, you know, so they kind of, they played the long game, but they didn't have, you know, and that's, I knew that wasn't going to be for me because of just my cultural and religious background. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, so there's not that many equivalence that you're trying to reference right and there's a good reason for that it just it takes a lot of that grit and grind so having uh having um when you when you're starting out and have nothing going on having that support can be very beneficial and i can see why it would steer a lot of people away from it um but i still think you know i don't know i I think that there you know i've met tons of people i've met more people in that in the course of my experience who do also have families and are doing it and they figure out all sorts of other ways too so i don't know yeah 
it's a very privileged privileged conversation. Exactly. Um, but I but I think it's it's important to have. I mean, because it doesn't only apply to modern Orthodox people. I mean, I think anyone who comes from a certain community, a certain lifestyle, there's that unspoken pressure to match mm. that with your own career and your mm. own life. And and it, it could be very crushing, you know, and if... if um, and crushing you know. because you're trapped. You can't complain about it, right? Because you're privileged and you have... Right. Uh, you, you come from a... Ba- you come, we went to camp. We went to private schools. Mm-hmm. We did those things. Right. And even saying it out loud, it's like you get this hyper self-consciousness about it. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's embarrassing on some level that, Why? that that's your. Um, I mean, just I'm asking out loud. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But like, is that healthy? Um, Gary V talks yeah. about all the time, like, uh, you know, you know what's worse than being born into something? You know what's better than being born into right. something? Be born into nothing. Yeah. Because like, you know, cron your fucking Ferrari, right? Like, right, you know, what right, people right. I see, people are like, yeah, you started on this, and but yeah. well, um, well, I'm saying that's that's not us. We don't have Ferraris. Yeah. But but we but we come from like nice houses from well-to-do families. We're like. Thank God if someone needs a surgery, it doesn't yes. like it's it's fine. Like it doesn't crush it doesn't mm-hmm. crush you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there, if you wanted to go to summer camp, you went that to comes s- along with that, right? Another thing my dad used to say. I thought the mic was full. <laughs> See, I'm just filled with this anxiety. <laughs> Another thing my dad used to say was uh, whenever like camp was coming up, and I was going to just have fun with friends in camp, you know, and they were sending me off to camp, I'd be like, you know, I worked in the summers. <laughs> Right, right. They took a pride in the fact that we didn't have to do what they didn't have to do, yeah. but they also kind of, they semi wanted to drop the fact that, but it was more of a source of pride for them as opposed to a, a lesson for us. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, he would have said, work, don't go to camp. And right. maybe that would have been better for that. But I went to camp. <laughs> right. I, it's true. It's like a grass right. is always greener thing. I kind of love going to camp, but yeah. would I have been better suited for the world that yeah. I had done? Like, you know, I went to a factory and worked when I was your age. <laughs> have fun here. Take a little. Take a little. You need anything? You need a little and like that can be a trap too and it's not something to be ungrateful for but like you said it's weird because i'm sure a lot of people are in this position of uh of you can't complain about it because it's like it reeks of this privilegey like position but at the same time then how are you supposed to square these things in your mind so i mean that's the question if if you're privileged enough to not have to pay for your own college, mm-hmm. to be able to move in with your parents after college, yeah. to save and to choose a little bit the direction you want to go. And if, if you're that fortunate and that blessed, why do so few people choose to do something that speaks to them? And 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 maybe one one theory is that because of this, well, maybe there's nothing that speaks to them or mm-hmm. maybe there's this sort of untold pressure of, of you have to pick a lucrative career early on so you can match where you came from. Um, yeah, you would think it would cause it to go one way or the other where you would get more people, but right, you know, more you, people uh, taking risks and, and you doing get this. What, what I do see is you get, you do get this phenomenon of folks coming out of college who take a while to figure things out. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they dive into creative endeavors, but they sort of think for a long, long time. Right, My try. grandfather <laughs> if you asked him what he did when he got here, he would never have said, oh, you know, I'm kind of just figuring things out. You know, I got, I got this startup idea. <laughs> maybe a supermarket. <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, my own business. I'm thinking of some shoes I want to sell. <laughs> they got to work. There was no choice. Well, they, they did whatever. Conceptually, whatever it wasn't even there. Yeah. So the fact that now you're given this option can kind of also be this paralyzing limbo stage. Mm-hmm. I see that a lot from people where they're just like uh, floating and vacillating between yeah. choices, not mm-hmm. making a choice, not applying like real grit and grind to something, right. just sort of like, 
I don't know. Maybe did you go through that at all a little bit? Yeah, too? I mean, I, I'm not I went, directly talking about you. Maybe indirectly, yeah, no, but like I mean, that phenomenon of being afforded a place where you can kind of ponder and think is a uh, is a maybe a new phenomenon that I right. saw. Where it's like for me, I was lucky to know that I was fortunate to know that like I had a direction and that I was going to music school. I went to Berklee College of Music in Boston and studied film <laughs> scoring and music. So there was a trajectory set out where I didn't have to like be have the anxiety of of indecision and not knowing what mm-hmm. it's going to be but it's going to be creative it was sort right. of like i knew it's going to be music okay mm-hmm. but the jew in me was saying i can't just go out and play bass i'm gonna right. i'm gonna do music for tv because that lends music career credibility right. those choices were all influenced full disclosure by that you know it wasn't oh, just totally. like i can just go out there with a bass and do it and the truth is also I, I probably practically couldn't for religious reasons and all sorts of things, but still the thought of just being a musician and not, oh, I do music for film. It, it had this illustrious right. like appeal to it that, that maybe could give me some, like, you know, yeah. t- could feel like it could, it could right. warrant a career. Well, would you say most people who take that time to figure it out end up not going into yes. those careers? Because I, I, I would say if you're doing banking or law or medicine, mm-hmm. you either do it immediately upon college or right after or you don't do it at all. You, you, you don't see a lot of people taking some time to figure things out and then going into banking or, yeah, or I going know. back to med school. Some people do. I don't know if it's banking, but... Or even law. I mean, a few people go to law school later, but not, not very many. You know, so... The, can think the, of one. Yeah, law school happens at random times, and we're thinking of one person, maybe. Um, It's hard to say. What what I tend to think after all of this, like, discussion about where people end up and head Mm -hmm. up based on their influences is, I still think, like, the same type of person, Mm -hmm. no matter what opportunities they're afforded before they start going into the workforce... If you're ready to like be a like you know to grind and hustle in the finance world, that's what you're gonna do. If you're ready to do that in the creative world, that's what you're gonna do. You're gonna hustle. Yeah, and you're gonna hit. It. You're gonna go for it right away because there's sort of like a, I have to do this. Like I sort of felt like for me, I had to make me. I ha- that's what like I I couldn't imagine doing anything mm-hmm. else even well because I right. I couldn't even understand a, a finance conversation. I was like, what what, what what's a mergers and acquisition even mean? It was all just my, it was so not not for me, and I knew that. So having that clarity was good, yeah. and I kind of just started grinding in right away, working in that circuit of like working with music production company and, tr- and like applying that grind and uh, you know to yeah. just just get, getting in there and grinding right. as opposed to the indecision part. There's there's people who can snap out of that, but that's also a type of person that kind of you know can sit with indecision for a long time, yeah. and it could be somebody who'll never get into the business world or the finance world, and will never get into the creative world either. Mm-hmm. he'll you know they'll just sort of be in the middle maybe they'll do something just like but nothing that they're really passionate about or interested in mm-hmm. um i don't know i don't know yeah. i i, I can't I, I have come across people who just work as a means to an end for them mm-hmm. um and they're just doing it purely for practical things but i've also met a lot of people very passionate about doing finance stuff and enjoy talking about yeah. it and enjoy that it's, world yeah i, I mean and, i like it it's fascinating yeah, yeah. so it's hard to say um which direction a person like that, if they find themselves in that position, goes into. Yeah. Um, I don't know because I just find that, I don't know, I haven't been around long enough to see where things happen, where things end up. But yeah. also different, op- different people find their right. groove later on at different times. Right. So people put this pressure on themselves that by 26 they have to be making right. a certain amount in a certain level at their career. So I don't, I don't, right. I don't want to sound too judgmental to say. I think if, if you have a burning desire, a real burning desire to do 
one thing or another, you're either going to eventually submit to it and do it, or it dies inside of you and you become this really toxic, awful person. Brian Koppelman talks a lot on his mm-hmm. podcast, The Moment, about that, mm-hmm. where he was overweight, he was smoking cigarettes, he was mean, he was mm-hmm. nasty, he didn't enjoy anything because he was a music manager. I mean, he was, a, he was like a, an agent, real, sort of, and what he wanted to do was be doing the writing. He wanted right. to be doing the filmmaking. And so eventually he submitted to it because he became aware of it. Um, mm-hmm. um, but, but if it's not this burning, burning thing... Um, it's easier to to just sort of not do it. Yeah, because it's not for the faint of heart. You're gonna have to deal yeah. with a ton of rejection, a ton of a ton of long game playing and patience right. and persistence. And if you don't love it and absolutely right. undeniably love it, you're not gonna right. withstand that. And it's a lack for a long time. I mean, um, I'm I'm certainly not out of this phase, but mm-hmm. but you know, you you deal with a lack of sort of status. And sort of accomplishment, where like your other your other friends are getting promoted, they're starting their own companies, yeah. they're buying houses, whatever it is. You know, you're still f- trying to figure it out, um, or, or, or trying to get started, um, and it's tough. It's tough to it's tough to do that if, yeah. if you come from a certain sort of community. It, always, it feels tough to feel ten years behind. Yeah, and that's what it feels like. It's almost like whatever, like the the money, the, the what, what you're making, what one makes. It's like in the creative worlds when you, I would say in those pursuits eventually it'll all kind of even out if you're doing, if you're putting in the time and the work and mm-hmm. you know, you're doing it sort of right, but you're like 10 years behind your contemporaries. So that at 25, you know, at 30, they're making a certain amount and you're making a certain amount and there's, and what they made at 20, you're making at 30 and what they're making at 40, you're making at 30 or something right. like that. Like you're catching up, but you're always a little bit behind. Yeah. That's what it feels like. If I was making this type of money I make now, when I first got started, I'd be like, I'm rolling in it. So it yeah. stinks to always feel like a little bit like just getting by. Yeah. Which I, is, which is rough. Yeah. And there, and, and, and when I say them, I just mean, it feels like when they got started, those first initial salaries, when I was working for free as an intern, yeah. that's the scale and degree you're working. With. I'm just doing literally, sh- sh- you know, just carrying around water for people and getting coffee and I'm not getting paid anything. Right. And they're starting and it's like, well, so it starts out at this, you know, whatever yeah. it is, 70. And you're like, like 70. <laughs> yeah. Like I nuts. could. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, so totally. like, but then you, but then you get to 70 K in your career or something like that. And you're like, I need to be making double this, triple this. Well, 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 <laughs> well, you do if, if you're sort of, if you're living that life and you have kids and yeah, you yeah, have, yeah. And, and you, you need, need that money. A friend I was talking to sort of a mentor of mine. Um, and, um, things were, things were moving quickly with mm-hmm. like a project I was working on and, and I was getting really impatient about it. And mm-hmm. I was like. I don't want to wait till December. I want to like go pitch it to mm-hmm. to to studios and production companies now. And he just sort of leaned back and he was he was like, "Listen, um, if if you're not process oriented, you're not going to survive in this career." He's like, "A good day is when you break a story, you come up with a good idea, you crack a character. That's a good day. A good day has nothing to do with like the results. It doesn't have to do with getting a yes." Or a no, or or, or, or a paycheck. He's this like, was a mentor of yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good advice. It's good advice, and 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 like you said, it takes 10, 15, 20 years to get really good at something, and and that's the way to get through. That's the way to get through it. To be just, I'm focused on getting better today, and like there are definitely like you know things that that need to get done, basics that I need to earn, mm-hmm. um, but just be process oriented through it, through it. And it's something I'm still working on. He's totally right. Yeah. I, I thought I, it was great advice. Very good advice. When I, distant cousins wrote a theme song. We're working on this show, um, for Netflix. 
<laughs> it was cool. We were getting we were, we were doing a theme song for the show. We went to the premiere parties in LA mm-hmm. when these shows get launched. Um and uh one of the show creators um said to us, he's like, This is actually my first show that has gotten, you know, final all the way. For him it was a big deal. He was seventy five. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm so relieved. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he said to us, you know, it's funny. When I first got to L.A., somebody said to me, it takes about nine years from when you start writing and working here till mm-hmm. you'll get something. And he was in year nine uh-huh. when this show got green lit. And it just gives you a sense. It's very humbling. You're like, yeah. wow. But then there's another debate that comes in, which mm-hmm. can shift. And maybe we can wrap up on this point and leave a little cliffhanger mm-hmm. for, for the part two. Because this is fascinating to me. And I always wonder... How somebody assesses if they're just being process-oriented or not aware that they're in the wrong area and doing it wrong? Great question. (laughs) (laughs) We can sit on it for a second because I'm always like, I have come across people who've, you know, either asked advice about getting music on film and TV or these kinds of things and you listen to like the work where it's currently at. And to be honest, you're just like, this needs a lot of work. Like, this needs a lot more. Or this is not it. The it factor, whatever it is. And there's reasons for that, where you're just like, either the writing isn't strong enough, the songwriting isn't strong enough, the production, whatever it may be. And I'm coming at it from a musical perspective, because mm-hmm. that's the experience I have. But that is a that advice that he said, being process-oriented, that your mentor said, is very good and very sound advice. It's also very dangerous, because if taken the wrong way, you could be spending 10 years doing the wrong thing or doing it's like doing an exercise incorrectly you'll end up massively injured and not with any more muscle on you because like hey i did push-ups every single day yeah but you did them like this and nobody came and corrected (laughs) you to this so you're going like this for 10 years and now you can't walk and you failed right even though you put in the time right like what what are those goal posts that you should be crossing on your way towards getting now is that results or is it who like what or, or yeah. How do you how, right. how, how do, you, do you assess it? How do you, you assess know? your progress? Now, essentially, it you do have to have some results eventually. Right. You just do, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah. but I think I think it's maybe how maybe the answer is how do you process or qualify a result? Is a result a show becoming massive and a huge hit, or is it a director going, "I really like that idea"? Right, right, and and then, and then how long can you can you live with people just going, "You're great." Yeah, you're great. And it's not It'll family saying it. It's sort of right. also. I think you have to approach process while also being very conscious of how things are resonating and connecting with yeah. people. Like if you're doing comedy, you got to get some people to laugh. Like if nobody yeah. laughs at your jokes, not one person. Yeah. Maybe it's the jokes. Right. So if half the room, if if a third of the people laugh at the jokes, maybe yeah. you have a niche style that not for everybody, but yeah. some people. And if half the room laughs, a lot of comics will say that's perfect. If everybody laughs, you have this yeah. commercial appeal. Who knows? Yeah. But the point is, you have to get some laughs. You have to get some reaction right. or something. And the, judging yeah. each one as a result in and of itself, like this mentor saying, "This is really good. You cracked the character today." That's a result. Right. Not we got the show on NBC. Right. The people I've met who who do it professionally. Mm-hmm are usually very, seem very self-aware and emotionally intelligent. Like mm-hmm. they, they're like, meaning they could fit in well in any corporate environment. Like they understand. You're talking about the people who do what? People who write, who write professionally. Like they're, they're not diluted. They're very pragmatic and they're very, um, they're not, they're not these like artists in their own mind 
um, they're very grounded in, in terms of mm. um, in terms of in, in terms of, of the business end of it, which which may, maybe that's a muscle you need mm-hmm. to be successful and be and, and, and track your own progress to, to make sure you're not going down this this sort of self deluded hole. Right. It's just it can be very easily taken the wrong way or misunderstood advice to say failing is a part of it. You have to fail. Because right. what if somebody is just continually failing because right. the work is I would love to hear what Gary Vee has to say about that. Right. I think he would say qu- quantity leads to quality, you know. And I think a lot I think if you dig beneath the hood, mm-hmm. under the hood, you'll find that people who are not where they want to be aren't working hard enough. Not that they're not good enough. They're not putting in the time necessary to get good. They're, mm-hmm. they're holding on precious to some piece of work and they're not working every single day to make it better or improving or writing new things or coming up with new ideas. They're just like, this is my hit. And they're getting precious about their baby. Mm-hmm. Is this hitting close to home a little bit? <laughs> for it too. But you find that that leads no, to that, but, but you're right. You that's can, you something can prove, I'm dealing with. Absolutely. And I think for me, I've, I've proven to myself that, yeah, like we've... And I've been rejected from many more commercials than I've had music in, and I've had many more songs that don't go final and get considered but fail. But actually, on the whole, like you only need those few little things to, to, to at least signal to you that you're doing the right thing. It's just circumstantial. Um, yeah. And as opposed to the other way, where I was like, I have this hit song, and nobody's like, but I'm, I'm, I'm committed and I'm convinced this is the one, and I'm never giving up on it. Maybe that's a sort of failure mindset where it's not the right kind of failing. It's... it's yeah. It's using the failures or the or, or the things that don't reach yeah. where you wanted them to reach as fuel to keep things building. Well, that that brings up another discussion about sort of the difference between being art oriented and career oriented. You, you can have a baby that you want to see through, mm. no, regardless of what anyone else thinks about it. But that makes you an artist, not a career person mm-hmm. you know i have this script that i that i believe in fully that I, it's my dream to see it made and see it made into a series etc and and that can be sort of my artistic use but there's comes a certain point where focus on it fo- focusing on it doesn't make any sort of business sense right um it, it, it doesn't mean i can't do it i just have to be clear about what am i trying to do here am i trying to bird something and bring it to the world and that's fine Mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily make you a professional writer right um or or you can try to be a professional writer and move on to something to something else you know it's funny you say that because to springboard off springboard that Spring, word yeah the word came it's out good weird. name for a springboard for a podcast springboard springboard yeah. to springboard off of that in going in and uh, we, we keep having this conversation and now i'm going to circle it back again Great. to contradict it i have found that there's this emancipation moment that happens mm-hmm. after you've put in the work and time from the like business perspective. Like you were saying, you were saying there's the art and then there's the business. So you have to let go of that. But then you hear people say, you know, once I started not giving a shit and just making what I wanted to make, I yeah. had the most success. So then you yeah. have to square that idea because I actually am yeah. starting to lean into that. I know. And I love but watching it. But I actually think it's like a sequential thing. Like one thing has to come before the other for it to really, I think, work. In other words, the person who then comes, it's not like a replacement theology. Right. Where now I can make what I want. I should have been doing this all along. Maybe not. You probably had to go through the, you know like business mindset oriented thing to learn the rules and then break them. You know, you, you 
you can't break rules until you know where they are and then go past them. Otherwise, you're just kind of lost. So right. if you go into saying, I'm just going to make what I want to make, forget everybody else, forget input, and and forget like consideration. Yeah. That could that could turn out great. And yeah. you have purists and people who've done it like that way. Um, well, you know, Radiohead has always been yeah. a little bit strange, but it works for them in a sense. But at the same time, you're not building up a lot of the chops and resilience and, and, and fitness, creative fitness to withstand sort of the industry that you're right. about to dive into and right. the jungle that you're diving into. So in doing that, when you get to the place where you're freed up and want to explore, like you're well equipped right, right. to develop w- something right. that you feel it represents you fully. Totally. And you have the confidence to right. navigate the terrain. And, and I think that also goes back to how good of an artist are you. If you're working on what truly speaks to you and doesn't speak to anybody else, you might just not be a very good artist. If you're working on something that really speaks to you and it speaks to millions and millions of people, those are our great artists. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone likes to shit on Lena Dunham. She, she, she made a show like, you know, the first show she ever worked on spoke to millions and millions of people for a generation. Mm-hmm. Like, she, she is an artist that what speaks to her speaks to other people and that's why she's, she's a huge deal. Um, but we also don't know the backstory, how Lena Dunham got that show made. Well, whatever it is, how many failed pursuits? For the sake of well, argument, well, I understand. Well, I mean, well, she 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 was she was pretty fresh. Like I think she went to film school. She made she made a film. Maybe it wasn't her first. I think it was her first. But to my feature point, length film, and then and then she made this mm-hmm. series. But was, there are certain artists who were sort of fully formed where where they don't they don't need to go through that process for as long. And those are our great artists. Where's Lena Dunham now? I, she just got married, I think. To Jack Antonoff? No, not to Jack Antonoff. They I'm broke up. Big fan of him. She, Lena Dunham has gone through like a lot of uh, tough. She's been having a tough couple of years. Exhibit A. Um, <laughs> um, well, anyway, that, I, I stole that from Theo Vaughn. But the the uh, he, well, no, well, I'm just saying the 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 working on on the thing that speaks to you. But what happened um, was she she was too fresh. It got big too quick, right? Right, yeah. And then she a, didn't have the she didn't have the resilience, point. and that's who knows? Right, I'm completely right. speculating. Making no, no, but, all no, that but, no, but that, that's a good support for your argument. That that you, those that time that feels like a waste of time is actually the thing that's preparing uh, you. It for, might have been, yeah. for later on. It might have nothing to do with Lena Dunham. I don't know anything about where she's at or what she's up to. But the broader point is, it's good to go. It's good to be armed with all that as you're gonna make whatever you want to make. Yeah, and have that confidence. It's sort of like the way your personality develops in life. Like you don't want to peak early, mm-hmm. you know, like you want to go through a, fra- a phase where you're kind of beaten down and figuring things out. And then when you f- fully kind of get to a point where you feel like a little bit more developed, you at least have gone through a point where you had to put in the work of s- self-development. Same thing with creative development. Mm-hmm. You put in this time where you're, you're doing things that maybe you don't feel are as fully representative of you, but they're helping you build skills so that when you do want to do the thing you want to do, you're you're fully equipped to put as much into it, mm-hmm. um, you know, right. creatively. Like if yeah. if you had to make content or fi- if you had to make film editing for some other corporate business for years and years and right. years or do it for such and such project or be an assistant and do these things. And then when you get to your own film, you are armed to the teeth with tools to yeah. express yourself. Yeah, Sam Esmail uh, edited porn for a long time. The who guy was that? who made Mr. Robot mm-hmm. um, and Homecoming. Homecoming. I was that a porn or was that a? Uh... <laughs> um, no, he's he's a huge. Spelled di- with an O or a C? He's a huge deal now. No, are you? Sorry. He spent a long time doing that editing um, porn, and then the, but he was ready when he got a shot. He was he was very ready to like. He's like, I know what I want to do. I know how I want to do it, and like, uh-huh. I don't really give a shit about what you think. Right. Um, and th- but then also I think you get prepared. Is that why Mr. Robot is all filmed from the back? 
Um, I never saw it, but um, um, interesting. You never saw Mr. Robot? No. Oh. Mr. Robot is interesting. I'll, can, I, can I tell you my theory on Mr. Robot? Sure, I haven't seen it. But won't it mean came any. out, oh, so it's this really dark show about um, sort of like these anarchist programmers who um, everything that's in fashion to talk about now with like the one, it, it, it's sort of um, if Occupy Wall Street like became programmers mm-hmm. and decided to like do something about it. But it's, it's that, that's like the vibe of the show. It's sort of dark and anxious and, um, and sort of uh, very like nihilistic and, and, and whatever. And it, it hit, it, it, it went on, I think, USA, I think it was USA, mm-hmm. Characters Welcome. It was this like bright sunny network and, and they put on this dark show and it was so successful that it turned the entire um, network around. Now now they like they like went from focusing on like blue sky stuff to like dark stuff. That's how successful it was. Mm. It hit so hard. This was on FX? No, no, it was on USA. Oh. It hit so hard and you know and it, it hit exactly when Hillary was running against Trump. Okay. In 2016. And I remember thinking at the time, like, it's so weird. Like, we're all preparing for, like, this feminist wave. It's this amazing moment where, like, finally, like, this gross guy is being put in his place. He's being rejected. The, the you know, the good guy Hillary Clinton is going to win. And, like, good gal. Yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, we have Barack Obama. Now we have Hillary. Like, we're entering this, like, beautiful phase of America. <laughs> Why is this thing that's so dark resonating so deeply with such a huge audience? And I think it was because, because the truth was, we were not entering this phase. People understood sort of instinctively there were a lot of issues we still need to deal with as a country. That goes back to my point. Sam Esmail wrote about this thing that spoke to him at this time. And I'm sure people, I'm sure people were telling him, this is too dark. This, this doesn't fit. What do you like? This is wrong. But he followed, he followed his, his instincts. And he's, he's a great artist. And he was right. And it spoke to people. Um, and um, that's why I like Mr. Robot. <laughs> you ever have those moments where you're like indulged in a specific thought about like what's going on in the world and you come to discover like everybody is thinking that? Yeah, those are the, uh, that's the best. And you're like, everything is so much more universal experientially than I really think. Yeah. Like I wonder, even our talks about coming from particular communities and the pressures of uh, going into particular fields over other fields, you know, how many people may react to that? I really don't know. Yeah. But there's all these things that we think we're experiencing alone. Yeah. And it's just more often than not, like everybody is feeling the same thing at the same time. And that's the great challenge. I think of putting stuff out that vulnerability of like, is this just going to completely thud like this personal thought I have, or is it going to be shared with by other people? If you're being honest and vulnerable, I guess it can't by definition. It can't thud. It can't unless, I mean, or or the the, the the probability that you're going to be fully alone in that feeling is so small. Yeah, that's true. I think. Yeah. You, yeah. You know, well that, yeah. Who knows? That's the scary part. That's the risk you take. That's the scary part. Equal to the love you make. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, well, that was that was a good. I, I, I think this is a conversation we can really dig into uh, throughout. That and face off. I think we have to, we have to go back to face off. <laughs> <laughs> but 
More on that later. This was more of a vulnerable expose podcast. Yeah, I, I hope I hope this does resonate with people. Um, I hope people have what to say about it and like hearing about it. Yeah, I think we have more to say about it. Um, and it is. I mean, it's it's a little embarrassing because you don't want to expose your own privilege and you don't want to sound ungrateful and, yeah, and exactly. disconnected. But if it's what your life is and what you're dealing with, um, you sh- it's you know it's important to share. It's important to talk about. Yeah, I guess it. Everything can be validated. It's fine mm-hmm. to uh, to discuss things in their proper context with their proper perspective. Right. Yeah. Which hopefully we just say, say perspective. To. Just do it. <laughs> There's many ways. I used to say when I first started Gary V, it was perspective. Like, like ultimately, like, per- I was watching an old video of mine, and I'm like, I used to do it like this. Like, holy shit! Like, fuck! It was like a little fucking weasel. <laughs> then, like, it got a little more subtle, right? And that was like perspective. I'm so obsessed with perspective, 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 perspective. There's like a million, like fucking horny bunnies, right? Like perspective. Perspective! Oh, boy. Gary, I'm coming on the show. We'll see you soon. Does he have his own uh, podcast? Oh, yeah. Yeah? It's like one of his big things, Ask Gary V, the Ask Gary V show. I've seen clips. I don't know where it came from. I never know where it came from. Nobody knows where he came from. (laughs) He's like uh, a little bit like Agent Smith. He's just like everywhere now, right? Mm -hmm. He said, I heard him on an interview, his grandfather spent 10 years in prison. Yeah, he's from Belarus, and so is my grandfather. Really? (laughs) People say, you look just like him. (gasps) (laughs) That's a good place to end it. (laughs) 